Generations Church exists to glorify God in our community, to make disciples of Jesus, and to multiply churches so that the next generation is equipped to glorify God better than we did. Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. We are in our series called Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude, where we explore the themes and the modern-day connections of the Heidelberg Catechism. Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Scotty Hines. I am one of the pastors at Generations Church here in Cerritos, joined, as always, by my good friend, Pastor Jeff Luddington, also here at Generations. Jeff, how are you, my friend? I'm well today, man. I'm well. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for, to be honest, man. I'm excited for this conversation, this episode. I say that a lot. I mean, I like, I love talking about all this, but uh, this is one that's got a lot of challenge to it. Mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. this is a great conversation. It is, man. It's one that has a, has a fantastic practical challenge, which really is when I get excited, Mm -hmm. man. I, I just, because I enjoy, like when we go into deep theological issues, for instance, Hypostatic union, probably something you didn't think I was going to bring up. That's fun to talk about between me sure. and you. But when I think of my wife, she can care less about that theology. Right. However, baptism, she has a lot of questions on it. And we it's can good. have deep, personal, practical, impactful conversations. So when the when the theology has a broader audience yeah. and a more, you know it's a more tangible audience, I love it, man. It seems to be where God has really designed me. Uh, you know, there's a... There's a statement. Uh, I don't know who said it. I stole it. So I, I know it didn't originate with me, but I use it a lot. It's yours now. It's mine now, right? It's, I think there's the Rick Warren wor- rule, right? You know, hey, so-and-so said this. And then the next time around, you're like, you know, so many people have said this. And the next one, you're like, hey, I always say this. So yes. there's the, the Rick Warren rule. After you've used it a certain amount of times, it's yours, right? So uh, that's probably not true if you're writing an academic paper. Yes. But hey, you get the point, yes, right? exactly, my friend. Here's the statement. Man, that all theology must be pastoral. Okay, so I don't know who invented it. I stole it. I'm using. I've been using it for years. Everything must end up shepherding people. So, in other words, it has to be practical. So, the hypostatic union of Christ. If you're listening, you don't know what that is. It's that Jesus is fully divine and fully human. Well, that has to play out in real life application to me and to you and to family. So, that's not our topic today. But sorry. No, that's good. <laughs> no, I tease. Big nerdy words yeah. uh, must end up in practical application in the home. Yeah. I would suggest every one of those things matter. It's how we frame them, whether that be to our wives or to our neighbors or to the non-believer. But all theology must be pastoral. Yeah, so for sure. Hey, man, I only got a few very high-end theological words, so when I can insert them, I hey, insert them. Hey, but check this out, man. I want Hit to share that 25-cent word drop, man. Yeah. You're all right. <laughs> hey, man, so I wanted to share this with you. This has been really cool, and I hope the audience can can, can grasp this, So, or we'll get excited about this. They're right. going to grasp this. So my daughter, Brooklyn, she's seven years old, and I have been really consistent, um, which is very good for me, with going through the, the New City Catechism, which right. is... Um, it's a it's it's a, form it's a of simpler the, version of this one exactly. and the Westminster if you guys are Presbyterian yes so yeah. it's great though and my daughter's seven that's key because she literally has uh, the first eight days memorized okay. almost all ten commandments and she so I started this off because I wanted to you know bring my childrens up in the disciplines practicing right. memorizing scripture and reading scripture but it's had a peripheral effect man I did not even expect so think about the the scenery right I come in I have my little book. And my Bible, and the book is the Confession, the New City Catechism, and so I, or the Catechism, not Confession. And so I open it up, and she sees me opening a book. This is key, right? Reading, asking theological questions. Then she sees me go to the Bible, mm, and it's down upon it. Now, it just hit me last night. My daughter has done this thing where she's like, "Hey, 
we need to go to bed just a little earlier. Why? She goes, because I need to read prayers to you guys. <laughs> she's mimicking me. Yeah. And she's disciplined where like her concept now of, of encourage, encouraging herself and then people is open up a book, teaching the concepts out of it, and then finding scripture. It's impressive, dude. I want to record it, but I know that's pride and I don't want to nah, enter that world. good though. But it's had this effect, man. And she's seven. So let she's me use that. seven years old, bro. It's amazing. That's awesome. And she's more mature than both of us, right? So, Thank you. Um, <laughs> so let me use that as a kind of a segue into what we're doing today. So if you're just joining us, you saw it on one of our social media pages, you clicked on it, you're listening to episode 27, right? Yeah. Of, just so everybody knows, of 52. That means last week and this week are the midpoint. We're over the middle right now. We are doing, we are starting the back end of this, right? So we are uh, on episode 27 of 52, which is Lord's Day 27 in the Heidelberg Catechism. Now, if those last words meant nothing to you, a catechism is, or catechesis is a way of training people by memorizing questions and answers. That's what you're doing with Brooklyn. Yeah. You're using the New City Catechism, which again is a shortened form of, uh, this is one of the influencers for that, right? So, but there's the, 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 the position that catechisms or creeds or confessions that they are true, but they're true only as they prove to be true in Scripture. Yeah. So if you look kind of a, you know on an org chart, at the top of the org chart, the most ultimate true authority is Scripture. Underneath that is how, what we believe Scripture says in a shorter form. And so that's what the Heidelberg Catechism is. And so it's a series of questions and answers. Today's happens to be about baptism. And so just like you do with Brooklyn, yeah. You ask the question, she gives the answer. It's a memorized question and answer. We're doing the same thing with the Heidelberg. And it's 450 years old as a common witness to our faith. It's got a Reformed perspective, but many evangelical churches use it. And so here's our, our three questions today. I'm going to pause after two questions yeah. and kind of frame what we want to do today in our time together. But question 72, or our first question today, yeah, first question says, does the outward washing with water, speaking about baptism itself, wash away sins? Answer, no, only the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit cleanses us from all sins. So that's saying, does baptism forgive our sins? No. Not at all. Baptism is a... Is a a physical symbol of a spiritual action, right? It is yeah. a means of grace, something that God is doing where heaven and earth kind of collide, right? We're here, we're here with real water and God is doing this with the blood and spirit of Christ. Yeah. It's kind of like your, the ring analogy you like to use. Yeah. It's, the, the, it's, the ring doesn't marry me. Nope. I'm married because I'm married. I wear a ring as a symbol. A Baptism symbol. is a symbol of yeah. what God has already done. Right. Very good. All right. Next question is why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing of rebirth, and the washing away of sins. Answer, God has good reason for these words, intending to teach us that the blood and spirit of Christ wash away our sins just as water washes away dirt from our bodies. But more important, God intends to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that the washing away of our sins spiritually is, a, is as real as physical washing with water. Right. Or physically washing with water. Yep. So we talk about signs and seals. Mm -hmm. This is a sign and a seal. Like this seals us with the promise of the Spirit, yeah. right? The washing of the blood. Now, if those two things are unfamiliar to you, I would say this. When you're done with this podcast, because we're going to go in a different direction here in a couple seconds, go back and listen to last week's episode. Yeah. Episode 26 deals with 
the blood and spirit of Christ. How does that cleanse us? What does that mean, right? Who is that for? Yeah. So today we're going to press into the third question and answer. If you're a Heidelberg person, it's question and answer 74 under Lord's Day 27. For us, it's our episode. Yeah. It's the question we're going to deal with today. So here Thank it is. You. Here it is. So if you're listening and you're a Christian, I know you already have an answer probably, but just hear us out. Question 74, should infants too be baptized? Yes, infants as well as adults are in God's covenant and belong to God's people. They, no less than adults, are promised the forgiveness of sins through Christ's blood and Holy Spirit who gives faith. Therefore, by baptism, the sign of the covenant, infants should be received into the Christian church and should be distinguished from the children of unbelievers. This was done in the Old Testament by circumcision, by circumcision which was replaced in the New Testament by baptism. All right, so there is... A whole lot going on here. Hey, this this last portion, though, uh, I said a statement, mm-hmm. and Scripture is going to clarify it. Just like it is. Yeah. There we go. See, we're going to go straight. So that's you know what? As I know, you're kind of being fun and silly, and and but true. Yeah. Here's what we're doing, and and we do this in each podcast. So we we read the Catechism, mm-hmm. right? We read the Heidelberg question and answers. Uh, not read, but we. So we take this memorized question and answer system of learning called catechesis, right? And we talk about that, but then we go to scripture and say, what does scripture say? So, you know, an image way of that is when you sit down with Brooklyn or with Ryan or whatever, and you read from the catechism and then you open the Bible to talk about the passages that support it, right? So we're going to do the same thing today. Exactly right. I think that's a good image. The Heidelberg catechism is only true if it agrees with scripture. Absolutely, if it man. disagrees with scripture, it's wrong. Yeah. All right. There's a place I picked out early in the Apostles' Creed portion of the Heidelberg Catechism where I think it's wrong. Oh, And yes. so I do pick those out, right? You can go back and listen. We did two podcasts on did Jesus go to hell, yep, yep. right? I say no. The catechism says yes mm-hmm. in its current form. So that's that's confession. I'll leave that for another day, right? It was so, a confession, not a catechism, though. No, Heidelberg Catechism quotes the creed, oh, right? that's so, right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Anyway, so ah, gotcha, gotcha. So here's where I want to spend our time. Should infants be baptized? That's the question. So lots of folks listening, I'm sure. Uh, we come from a reformed perspective. Our theology is under that banner of reformed theology. Absolutely. Now there's you know kind of full tilt, solid reformed folks that believe in the Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgic Confession, right? The Westminster Longer and Shorter Catechisms. Those all affirm infant baptism. Then we've got Reformed folks on the other side of the conversation that are what we call Reformed Baptists, right? They adhere to things like the London Baptist Confession of 1689. They're over here where they don't baptize infants, but they believe in the same theology, just not that particular thing. And in that case, right? It's also a use of water. Do we sprinkle pour or do we immerse, right? London Baptist folks are full immersion. They also have some distinguishing pieces of uh, communion, which we're going to talk about next week. Yes. Uh, they don't do intention like we do. We can talk about that next week. Yeah. But, so there's some distinguishing marks, but everybody comes under the banner of Reformed, and Reformed is much bigger. It's a theological perspective. So for those of us that uh, consider ourselves Reformed, there is some variety of Reformed folks, Absolutely. right? But the final question here is, should infants be baptized? Now, your current church or the church you were raised in probably is the single most influential thing in what you believe about this. Now, I say that for a reason. Remember, we go from the book to the Bible, right? Well, we need to go from the church 
from our tradition to the Bible. That's right. Always. For me, it has to be what does the Bible say? So the confession says, yes, infants as well as adults are in God's covenant, right? And belong to God's people. I was, I was just listening to this and I hadn't considered it in the past. But right as you said it out loud as we're recording this, this line, that infants should be received in the Christian church and should be distinguished from the children of unbelievers, that lands in a modern 21st century politically correct desire for inclusion. That lands so harshly in a culture that is so used to inclusion that we would distinguish between one family's kids and another family's kids, right? So if you're hearing that, Man, the I'm guessing today, not when it was written, it was totally different. Today that lands differently. So we have to ask the question about that. Like, do we distinguish the difference between the children of believers and the children of non-believers? So my answer would be yes, but it's for probably for a different reason. Yeah. But, uh, so let's unpack the final line that you said. This was done in the Old Testament by circumcision, which was replaced in the New Testament by baptism. Yeah. Okay. So if you're a big picture person, you want to think of just all of scripture, you know, kind of have a, a big framework, right? God gives this covenant to Abraham. And he says, listen, you follow me. I will be your God. You will be mine, right? And I'm going to do a series of things. Okay, right? A covenant comes with a symbol. Like when we get married, I'm going to say this vow. You're going to say this vow. It's a vow to God. God's there, right? In a Christian marriage. And then the symbol is the wedding ring, right? Yeah. There's a symbol. Okay. So in the Old Testament, when God gives this covenant to Abraham, the symbol is circumcision. The eighth day old male infant will be circumcised on the eighth day, right? That was the command. Circumcision is a, uh, if it is a covenant symbol that requires blood, right? You can't cut away the foreskin of a male infant without blood, right? That's true. So it reminded them of, a, of many things. One, that Adamic sin, sin that we've inherited from our fathers and from Adam, right? Yeah. Passes through its seminal, right? Passes through the seed of the male to the next child. Yeah. Like we inherit sin literally, physically, and spiritually, yeah. right? So it is passed from one generation to the next as the seed is passed from one generation to the next. It reminds us that sin requires blood, Right, the Old Testament, they had sacrifices and things that they did, all foreshadowing Christ to come. So the covenant symbol of circumcision was a reminder of Christ to come to the Messiah to come. Now we live on the other side of that, right? So now Christ has come, and we can't have any more symbols that require bloodshed, or we're saying Christ's blood isn't enough. Mm. So the the under, the one thing that everybody understands is communion. If you're a Christian, you take communion, the Eucharist, you know the you know the breaking of bread, depending yeah. on what term you use, right? We know that that started with the Passover meal where they slaughtered a lamb, yep. they painted the doorposts, and death passed over them. That's where it came from. Jesus takes Passover and says, "Now this is about me. I am your Passover lamb." So now Passover becomes communion. Communion is bread and cup. Right, bread and wine, or bread and grape juice. Your probably your church probably uses, and it's because we no longer slaughter a lamb to do that, right? So there's no more bloodshed because Christ's blood has fulfilled that. Same thing with circumcision, Old Testament symbol, redefined, but continued the covenant, 
right? Now the symbol is baptism. So the clearest place I can read this to you that are listening is Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12. Paul writes to the church in Colossae, he says this, In him, meaning Jesus, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. That's a key word. Having been buried with him in baptism, mm. in which you were also raised with him through the faith and powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. So the circumcision of Christ is baptism. Yeah. So the fulfillment of the symbol is not the fulfillment of the sign. Uh, uh, it's not the fulfillment of the covenant. Yes. The covenant is still over a people of faith. Yep. The symbol was circumcision, is now baptism. Yeah. That's amazing. So that's why the, the symbol has been replaced. The need theologically was we can't have any more bloodshed because Christ's blood has satisfied all of the covenant needs. Once and for all, as Hebrew Once would say. for all, yeah. right, exactly. Same reason we don't slaughter a Passover lamb and paint our doors. Exactly. We break bread and drink a cup. Mm. Same reason is we've rid ourselves of the blood because Christ has satisfied it. Christ changed Passover to communion and circumcision to baptism. The cleanest, clearest place is in Colossians 2, 11 and 12. So... What do we mean then when we say, should infants be baptized? So if we knew nothing else yet, okay, and it's not true that we don't know anything else, but <laughs> if we knew nothing else, you would say, okay, circumcision, eighth day, male children, you would think maybe baptizing male infants on the eighth day. Okay, so if it's a one-to-one, that's what you get. Yeah. Clearly, baptism is for male, female, everyone. Okay, black, white, yellow, pink, purple, you know, whatever, right? Liberal, conservative, male, female, what doesn't matter. Baptism is signed for everybody. It's not the only thing we know, but if it's the only thing we knew was this Colossians passage, then infant baptism is a slam dunk. Yeah. You're like, well, it's the fulfillment of a an infant symbol. Okay, here's the problem. It's not the only thing we know, No. right? No. So the first gospel preached by anyone other than Jesus right after the Holy Spirit comes upon the church, about 120 believers hanging out together, praying, fasting, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Peter walks outside in the midst of a massive Pentecost feast in Judaism, thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews in Jerusalem. Yeah. Peter walks out and he preaches the gospel to them. And I mean, he lands bombs like the Jesus you crucified, yeah, God it, raised from the dead. So about a personal you gospel. think you're glorifying God, but God is against you, exactly. right? Because yeah. you missed his son, right? So in the midst of that, the people that are convicted cry out to Peter and they say, Peter, what do we do then? Peter's answer is repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Now, that's the verse I quote all the time. Yeah. I use that in a lot of messages calling people to baptism, repent and be baptized. Now, repentance means turn from sin, Yeah. right? Yeah. Well, if you hear the word repentance and, be, you know, repent and be baptized, who do you think that means needs to be baptized? Um, non-believers, people who have just come to faith, people who have just repented. Okay, so how old do you have to be to repent? Ah, uh, I mean... There's no age, but yeah, I mean, but there's you, a level of obedience. That, yeah, that, that's probably a better way of putting it. Is when you see the repentance is in the level of obedience, right? So you can imagine, can yeah, yeah, you can imagine a 13 year old uh-huh. repenting. Absolutely, right? Every 13 year old I need needs lots of repentance, right? So, <laughs> but it's hard to see a one year old understand and live out repentance. That's true. Two years old, three years old, it's hard, right? Yeah. So when you see the command. 
to the crowd who asked the question, what do we do? Repent and be baptized. Mm. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. So from that statement, it seems like we've made baptism, the the which it is, but not the only response when we come to faith. Meaning, we've made it a, a response to a confession. Yeah. But if we take the whole picture in Scripture, it's also the replacement of a family covenant. Right. You get what so, I'm saying? Like, we yes. only get half the picture. Right. So we still haven't collected the whole picture, and exactly. that's the point. So you have one group that understands it's the fulfillment of a covenant, so infants are easy, right? Makes yeah. sense. It makes totally sense. makes sense. It fits our context. Exactly. Okay. If you're Jewish, you're like, oh, well, now we baptize instead of circumcise them, and we can baptize our daughters too. Great. Boom. Okay. You're in. But if you've been raised in a Baptist church and you've heard repent and be baptized, repent and be baptized over and over again, right? Yeah. Then you think only people that are consciously able to repent can be baptized, yeah, you right? You marry it with the decision of confession, yeah. So let's let's add some pieces. So if you know the verse in Acts 2.38 that I've been quoting, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39 follows it saying, for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off... Everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. A whole bunch of things get added there. Yeah. This is for you and your children. Yep. Clearly an inclusion of children. Now, it doesn't say for you and your infants. It says for you and your children. It could mean for you and the next generation. It could mean for you and your kids that are old enough to, ba- to repent. Could mean anything, but it adds to it. Clearly, it's including children. Clearly. Very clear. It's also very reformed in its soteriology, and it gives the sovereignty of God in salvation, yes. right? Yes. All that God, or all that the Lord our God calls to himself. So it gives God acting first, right? So if you add that, you're like, okay, now I see repent and be baptized also includes kids. Okay. Now, let me add one more thing. And this is, this really hits that children of Christians in the church, members of the church, baptized members of the church, Christian children. Let me rephrase that. Children of Christian parents. Yes. Being distinct from children of non-Christian parents. Now, I'm sure a lot of modern-day, politically correct inclusion folks rankle at hearing that. But listen to this verse in 1 Corinthians 7. It says, For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. Now, it's talking about when one believer comes to, one husband or one spouse comes to faith and the other doesn't. What do you do? Yeah. It's encouraging them to stay in the marriage and that there's a promise over the other spouse, which is a whole other conversation. Yeah. But, For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. So in marriage, one person comes to faith. Here's what it's saying. There's a covenant promise over the other spouse. Like different than your next door neighbor, but because you came to faith, God is saying, listen, I got your whole family in mind. Listen to the next line of that very same verse. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. It's an inclusion. Of Christian children. That's right. Man. Right? Of one parent who's a Christian. That's a so I know church. Yeah. So I know churches that unless both parents are Christians, they won't baptize the kid and then an infant. I know I know churches that won't baptize infants at all. Here's this this pronounced statement of your children are clean, holy. Otherwise, if they weren't your children, they'd be unclean. So I know we're running a little late on this one. We're at yeah. the 23 minute marker, but I want to do this. Here's what we practice yeah. at Generations Church. We kind of split the middle, and this is this could offend everyone, for all I know. But <laughs> offend them, brother. Offend them. There we go. So I'm good for that. Anyhow, I'm I'm typically very good at offending people. That's all right. So 
we are, so I am theologically pedo. I believe that you can baptize infants. I believe that is the fulfillment of the covenant. Yeah. But there used to be a baptize your son on his eighth day, right? Circumcise him. That's what I mean. I'm circumcise your son on the eighth day. Yes. No provision for women, uh, for female children, and only for circumcision. Now, there's no positive, outright, very clear command to baptize infants at any specific time or day. Clearly, it's changed because we've gone from male only to male and female. So there's inclusion of the other gender. Clearly, it's gone from circumcision to baptism, right? But there's no now baptize your children on the eighth day. It doesn't say that, right? But there's a ton of passages where whole households are coming to faith. Cornelius's, Lydia's, I mean like whole households. Everybody assumes, the Baptist assumes they were all old enough to repent and get baptized. The pedo folks, the you know, infant baptizing people, they assume that there was infants in there. Well, nobody knows, right? So it's a gray area. It is, yeah. Clearly, this is for children. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized. Acts 2.39, this is for you and your children. It's very clear. Acts 7.14, your children are holy. There's a promise over them, just like your unbelieving spouse. Yeah. But your unbelieving spouse doesn't get baptized. Yeah. And yet he's also called set apart, right? Yeah. So here's what we do. We don't do infants because the culture that we live in in Southern California pushes back so much against infant baptism that it requires a podcast <laughs> of 25 minutes just to cover it, yeah, right? Listen to this before you go forward with this. So every time I would do infant baptism on a Sunday in the past, I would go through a 15-minute explanation uh-huh. that required Old Testament covenant, New Testament Colossians, transfer, yeah. who can do this, what do we do? And then you baptize. And then unless I'm just teaching on that that day, there goes a 30-year service, right? So we started practicing because we prefer, as we talked about in our last episode, we prefer to immerse people fully in water, identifying them with the death to sin and resurrection in Christ, yeah. okay? So we have gone to as early and as young as we can immerse children with their parents, where their children are saying, hey, they want to be baptized. They don't have to really understand it a lot, but our parents are understanding what's going on as well. And so we've we've split the difference. It's not really old enough to repent. It's not really an infant. Yeah. And we've just added, okay, we want to baptize them young, early, as soon as we can immerse them in water. Not because immersion is the requirement, but because it gets gray in here. Yeah. Like we, it, There's no positive command. So there's positive commands, that we adhere to that are completely anti-cultural, right? Like we have male-only elders and, you know, one man, one woman marriage. Like there are things so that are anti-cultural that we'll dig in and, and, and fight for. But because this one is loose and a little bit gray, we're reformed in our theology. We believe that you can baptize infants. We, and I've baptized many infants. We culturally practice in our church as young and as early as we can immerse them. That way we're kind of early on, but we're also kind of bridging that gap to the culture who has just been told that infant baptism is only what Roman Catholics do. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. Man. And so I know that is not enough for the hardcore Westminster, Belgic, mm-hmm. Heidelberg folk. And I know that's too much for the London Baptist Confession yeah. folks because there's no sign of repentance. But for us, man, we are pedo in our theology. We are somewhat credo in our practice. Yeah. We feel like it doesn't violate the commands of Scripture, uh-huh. and it allows us to speak to a culture um, in our setting. Yeah. Man, and with that, I just want to encourage y'all, some of these gray areas in Scripture are so beautiful for your faith. 
God has them there. So you can wrestle, you can conversate, you can engage with God about deep issues and watch them impact your soul. What a great topic and great explanation, Pastor Jeff. These are those issues we can go on and on thank and on you, man. about, yeah. man. But it's fun. Uh, hey, we want to thank everyone for listening to the Generations Church pa- uh, podcast. Every Tuesday, we release a new guilt, grace, and gratitude episode. Uh, we have some special episodes on Thursday, but we just want to ask you if you can, please subscribe. Please share. Let your friends know about the theology that we're sharing over here and encourage them to give it a listen. Learn a little bit more about your Christian faith. And if, faith. And if you can, please write a review. It truly, truly helps us. Again, we want to thank you for listening to the Generation Church podcast. For more information, visit our website at ginfamily.church, G-E-N family.church. You can also follow our social media accounts at ginfamilychurch.com.